a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Those words in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 18 quoted from the book of Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15 reflect for us a very, very sad situation. Every time I read those words, I think about a mother losing a child and not being able to be comforted. Most of us are well aware of the events that occurred this past week. I cannot imagine the grief, the sadness that many parents are going through this morning. Part of me felt that I should take some time to preach on that subject this morning. However, after I went back and looked at the lesson that I had prepared, it is one that deals with and should offer some comfort to those who are God's children and for those who are innocent because they have not yet reached the point where they are accountable to God. This morning, I'd like for us to continue our study of the book of Philippians. We are to chapter 4, and this morning we will look at verses 1 through 3. The title for this part of our study is called The Book of Life. I'd like to begin by asking some questions. How many places have your name on a book or on a roll? I dare say most of us would think, well, not many, but as you began to think in life, I would imagine you do have your name in many places. Most of us have our births registered, and depending upon the state in which you were born, perhaps many of you here in Tennessee, the records are kept in Nashville, you are on a roll. Your name is recorded where you were born, who your parents were, and the date of your birth. If you attended a school somewhere, whether it was like Hickory Creek Elementary or Warren County High School, your name is recorded there and the grades that you made and the date of your graduation if you have done so. If you went to college, there are those who record your grades and they will have a record of your having attended there. Just a few weeks ago, many of us went to the polls and voted. In order to do that, your name has to be on the roll. You have to be a registered voter. Have your name there. If you bought a piece of property, the Register of Deeds has your name and the place that you have purchased recorded there. Perhaps you're a member of some civic organization or some club. If you are, your name is recorded as one of their members. All of these are valuable and good. But is your name in the book of life? This morning, what I'd like for us to do is to look at three things that Paul will discuss in the first three verses. You can keep your Bibles open there to Philippians chapter 4. 
And we will see three things that Paul is going to urge. Number one, he is going to urge them to stand fast in the Lord. Number two, he is going to urge them to strive to get along and strive to pursue unity. And then number three, he is going to encourage them to secure their future. Make sure that your name is in that book of life and make sure that it stays there. Let's begin with looking at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown soul stand fast in the Lord, beloved, Now, if you will observe, the very first thing that Paul says is therefore. That word itself forces me to look back. I have to look back because that's a key indicator that this is a conclusion he's drawn on the basis of other things he has said. And I'm not going to rehearse with you all of what precedes this, but I will point you back to verses 20 and 21, which we studied last week where one's citizenship is in heaven and the resurrection of the body are major points that Paul is going to stress. Notice verse 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. I would like to take time, but we did a little bit last week, to look at 1 Corinthians 15 and all of the parts that are there when you and I focus toward our heavenly citizenship. He refers to them as his beloved Longed for, brethren, joy and crown. These are terms of endearment. These are terms that indicates that Paul really does love and care for the brethren at Philippi. You know, there's some people that we have a hard time liking. At least I do. You may not. There are some people that are difficult to get along with. But Paul loved these brethren. He longed to be with them. You know, it wasn't just the Philippians, though. When I go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he says to them, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. You see, the church at Philippi, along with the church at Berea, along with the church at Thessalonica, were all Macedonians. These were good folks. They were the kind of people that Paul could say, you're the crown of my head. You're my joy. You're what I live for. I'm going to tell you that this church here was special to Paul. These brethren were special. And so what he tells them to do is to stand fast in the Lord. Now the original words here, according to Bauer, Danker, Art, and Gingrich, Relexkin, means to be firmly committed in conviction or belief. 
That is, my beliefs, my convictions are firm. They're solid. I don't change them every day. I don't vacillate from one teaching to another, from one position to another. I am going to be firm in that. I will tell you the grammatical form here is they are a present imperative. The present tense indicates that it's continual, something that you do over and over. Imperative means it's a command. Literally, he is saying, I want you folks to continually stand fast in the Lord every day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul would say, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always, every day, be steadfast. There's sometimes when we need to be people able to be moved. But when it comes to truth, when it comes to serving God, we ought to be firm. We ought not let anybody move us. And we ought to always abound in God's work. You got chapter 16, verse 13. He says, watch, stand fast in the Lord, be brave, be strong. The kind of people that are firm and solid for God. Galatians 6 and verse 1, or 5 verse 1, excuse me. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again into a yoke of bondage. You see, many of us may have come out of something that we ought not have been in. The Galatians have been taught Judaism. And Paul says, now that you have come out of that, now that you've become free, don't go back into that. Stand firm with where you are. In Philippians 1 and verse 27, a little bit different flavor, but he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel Paul says, I want to know that whether I am with you or whether I'm absent from you, that you are remaining solid. You're remaining firm in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, my brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle." Whenever you and I get God's Word, we ought to hold on to it like a tenacious bulldog. We ought not turn it loose. We ought not let it go because that's what's going to save us is holding firm to God's Word. Now let's move second of all to another part of this text. It's found in verse 2 and very simply says, I implore you, Odia, And I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. The word that the New King James translates implore, other translations translate it as besiege, urge, entreat. This is a word that is an appeal, but it is not a command. It's, for instance, when you come to someone and you beg them, you plead with them. 
Paul is looking at Euodia and in Syntyche and saying, I am pleading with you, I am begging you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Who are Euodia and Syntyche? Well, they're women. We learn that from verse 3. We learn also that they were fellow workers with Paul in the gospel. But he doesn't say what they do. Were they there with Paul and teaching women? Possibly. Were they there providing some sort of encouragement and as such are fellow workers? Were they maybe like Lydia even? Somebody providing some financial support? Possibly. He just doesn't say. But we know they're workers in the gospel. We know also that they had a conflict, but the nature of that conflict is not discussed. Could they, for instance, have had different opinions about how something should have been done? Possibly. There's all kinds of things that you and I might suppose, but the essential details is that these women had a problem. They had a difficulty. And so Paul says, I want you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, let me try to break this down a little bit. They had some things that needed mending. There's a word that is used in the New Testament which carries with it the idea of the mending of a net. It's quite frequently translated perfect or complete. But it is a word that describes what, for instance, that fishermen would do. They would go and they would take their drag nets, drop them down into the water. Fish would swim on top of them. They'd raise those nets and they'd catch fish. Those nets would break. They would have holes come in them. And so they would mend those nets. They would make them whole. They would make them complete. This word is used in 2 Corinthians 13 in verse 11 where Paul says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Be, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. When he says be complete, that's that word for mended. Be mended together. What Paul is saying for Euodia and Syntyche is, I want you to be mended back together again. I want you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Don't you think that it is significant that even in a great congregation like Philippi, congregations like Corinth, that you have this message? The reality of the fact is you and I have to realize in every congregation of the Lord's people it is easy for us to become in conflict with one another. And what does God want out of us? What does God expect out of us? To be of the same mind in the Lord. Listen to Philippians 2 and verse 2. Fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, that you by our Lord, 
by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Every one of these congregations need that same message. In Psalm 133, verse 1, David, stepping back and looking at God's people, says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I can tell you, having grown up in a congregation that for a few years had a lot of conflict in it, it's not pleasant. Nor does it help and encourage young people. The conflict that I saw growing up was really bad when I was about 16 to 18 years old. I refused to let it sour me on the church. But I tell you what, there's a lot of people when they see conflict become discouraged, despondent, and ready to give up. Don't let you do that. It's good. We ought to work for, we ought to be peacemakers to try to bring about unity in the Lord's body. In Amos 3 and verse 3, he puts it very simply. About two walking together, he says here in verse 3, and can two walk together unless they are agreed? We've got to look for and find agreement. We will never find complete agreement in our opinions. We can find, we should find, and we must find agreement based upon God's Word. Whatever God's Word says, that's what we do. And we bind only God's Word, not our opinions. Now let's go to verse 3. Verse 3 says, And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, and with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I urge you also. The word urge here is different from the word implore in verse 2. It means to ask. You're not putting an obligation on somebody. I'm asking you to do this. It's not really that you are begging. This is, this is really asking somebody to do something that is their obligation. And so I'm asking you, true companion, or if you're reading older translation, yoke fellow. Some people think that this is a proper name. Most likely it means an unnamed fellow worker. Someone who was close to Paul. Someone who was close to the church at Philippi. I urge you to help these women with Clement and others also, and then notice whose names are in the book of life. Their names are there. All of them are in there. Euodias is there. Syntyche's there. This true yoke fellow. This man by the name of Clement. These others, their names are written there. What is this book? This book of life whose names are written in it. Why are they written in it? And do they stay in it? This 
phrase, the book of life, is found seven times in the book of Revelation, among the many seven things that are in the book of Revelation. I'm only going to point you to three of the verses. First one's found in chapter 3 in verse 5. And there, Jesus speaking and John recording, He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my fathers and before his angels. If your name is in the book of life, when you get to the day of judgment, Jesus will say, this is one of mine. Do you recognize the significance of that? We sing the song, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, nor do defend his cause, maintain the honors of his word, the glory of his cross. Will the Lord own me? If your name's in the book of life, he will stand and confess your name before the Father. Of course, Jesus taught, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, that whoever confesses him before men, he will confess him before the Father. Whoever denies him before men, he will deny before the Father. But perhaps the passages that are so significant are those found in chapter 20, verse 12 and verse 15. And we read in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. Now stop for just a moment there. Notice how John says the books, plural, was opened. The dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books. Well, what are the books? Evidently, the books of the Bible. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and receives not my words has one who judges him. These words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So if Jesus is saying the words I have spoken will be judged, the books are containing the works of Jesus, the words of Jesus. You have the books and then you have the book. And the people's names who have done what Jesus said to do, their names are written in the book of life. Verse 15, And if anyone was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. What I understand is, is that if my name is not written in the book, Jesus will not confess me and I'll be cast into hell. Boy, that's an important book. My name better be in there. Names can be added to or blotted out. Do you remember what occurred in Acts chapter 2? Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church. Those who were being saved, Acts 2.47. How were they being saved? 
Verse 38 says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So I get my name added to that book when I am obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, I do. Can my name be blotted out? Well, let's look and see. Exodus 32, verse 32. Moses says, Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. I don't think Moses recognized what he was saying at that time, at least the gravity of it. You mean blot my name out of that book? In Psalm 69, verse 28, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and let them not be written with the righteous. You see that book there contains the righteous names, and if you become unrighteous, what does God do? He blots that name out. Folks, there's a very good likelihood that of our number here this morning, there was a day and time when your name was written in that book. But somewhere along the line, you decided, I'm not serving God anymore. And sadly, that name was blotted out. When the disciples were sent out on a limited commission, they were able to work some miraculous deeds. And they came back thrilled. Look what we have been able to do. And Luke 10, verse 20, Jesus said, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's a lot of people who take a lot of pride in the things they've been able to accomplish in this life. You may be a person who's attained the highest level of education, terminal degree, doctorate. You may be a person who has been very successful in life and you have a bank account that has a lot of zeros after it. You may be a person who is very popular and in your sport or in your field you are recognized given all sorts of accolades. Let me tell you something. None of that will mean a thing if your name is not written in the book of life. You see, the women had a role in staying in the book of life. Euodia and Syntyche were called out by name by Paul. Ladies, it's time for you to get your problem solved. The yoke fellow was supposed to help them solve this problem. And thus, I learned two things. Number one, that, that we have something to do with our salvation. I have something to do with getting my name in that book by being obedient to the gospel. And then I also have something to do with others helping them get their name there and helping them remain saved. Help these women. If your name is written there, God bless you. 
help somebody else. Help them get their name there. And I want to end our lesson this morning with how may we help you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you have come to the point where you know and understand what you need to do by believing in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith and being baptized, then I want to urge you to respond when we sing the invitation song. On the other hand, if you do not know what you need to do, don't let it pass. We will stay with you as long as necessary to discuss what God's Word teaches that a person must do. If you are one of God's children and your name is not there anymore because you've allowed it to be blotted out, folks, you need to come home. It's time. Would you come as together we stand and sing?